Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our in-gathering water communion blessing of the pack, backpacks and picnic. <laughs> Y'all, it's too much. <laughs> Nah, just enough to kick off our year. I'm the Reverend Maria McCabe. Welcome back into In Gathering. Our invocation this morning is actually a, 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 a meditation, a beautiful meditation from the Reverend Molly Hausch Gordon and Jamila Batchelder. So I invite you to settle into your seat. If you wish to, you may close your eyes. If you wish to wiggle, you may continue wiggling. The strength of a water takes on many, many forms. Just as each of you has a unique and necessary strength that you bring to our community and to the work of love. Take a moment now to drop into the deep wellspring of your own spirit. Bathe yourself in the strength that is the groundwater of your person. Are you a roaring fall wearing rock away with sheer force of will, or are you a tiny drop of water in a crevice breaking it open slowly? Are you buoyant like a great salt lake? Practice, good, thank you for letting me know. Practice at holding others aloft. Are you tenacious like the mountain stream? Or are you still and calm like the pond at daybreak? My beloved, settle your mind upon the strength and the power that is yours. Draw that strength into your heart, draw it into your soul. And as we gather together the many waters of this community, know that we need each of your power, each of your resilience, each of your love to make us whole. So maybe, maybe you all remember, or maybe you don't, but the very first water communion celebrated in a Unitarian Universalist context came about as a result of a group of kind of rebellious Unitarian Universalist women who believed that there were voices, their voices in particular, that were not being heard in our movement. And so they wanted to create a ritual that would symbolize the things that bring us together and that connect us to one another. And they wanted that ritual to particularly highlight their voices and the voices of women in our movement. And while sometimes it may seem like this is something that we've been doing for hundreds of years, it actually did not begin until 1980, which to some of you is ancient history and not to me. <laughs> But I want to share with you the words, or some of the words that they used on that day, because they feel really powerful and relevant to, to me and hopefully to us today. So we come together to question, to hear, to share, to speak, 
to inspire, and to celebrate through new rituals knowing that our energy and our love are transforming. Celebrating now our connectedness, we choose water as our symbol of our empowerment. And the idea, or the, the image, the vision that these women brought was of all of us being rivers, all of us being rivers rolling, flowing into one large ocean. Just so you know, this is a river stole, in case you, in case you couldn't tell. So, dear ones, this morning as we grieve the destruction left in Hurricane Dorian's wake, let us also celebrate our connectedness, our connect connectedness to one another and to all of those who are in need of connection. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to, for those of you who brought water, come forward. If you did not bring water, I, I invite you to pour some water from one of these pitchers into our communal or into our communal bowl remembering that our faith calls us to justice and love reminding us that five years after the tragedy of tainted poisoned water in Flint came to light the water still isn't safe for everyone in that community inviting all of us to witness the healing that can be possible each and every day. Laura and I are going to hold microphones. For those of you who wish to share where your water came from, you may do so. But I also invite you to begin by sharing perhaps one word or one thing that you would like to share with our communities in the coming year. I will begin by pouring the water that we gathered from last years. Thank you, Cindy, for boiling it and, and, and putting. This is from last year's water communion. Please come forward. If the rest of you would care to join the circle so that we can all bless this water together. This represents water from Cunningham Falls State Park. I'm going to ask us all to bless this water together. And your response will be, this water is sacred. Can you say it with me? This water is sacred. It is made sacred by the many hands that have poured it with intention and love. The many stories that each drop contains, the many lives surrounding it in this moment, connected by commitment and faith. This Water is sacred. May it continue to flow through this community with shining reflections of the unique gifts that flow through each of the members. This water is sacred. May it continue to nurture us with sustaining hope as we journey together through ripples of growth and change. This water is sacred. May its ripples be a reminder 
but the changes in growth within this community bring movement and transformation to the world beyond our doors. This water is sacred. In moments when our hearts and spirits are drained by sorrow or pain, may it nourish us with the knowledge that we're surrounded by deep and abundant love. This water is sacred. Amen. And blessed be. Hi, everyone. My name's Ann Dodson. My preferred pronouns are she and her. Um, every day, those of you who are students put on your backpacks and set off to learn. Sometimes you're excited to head off to school. Sometimes you're nervous, but you bravely put on your backpacks anyway. You carry all the tools you need for learning and your hopes for the future. There's something else that you carry, all of us. Your church family is thinking of you all the time. We are with you when you have a hard day and with you when you have a success. So whenever you feel unsure or alone, you can stand with strength and know that we are with you. Spirit of wonder, spirit of lifelong learning, spirit of community and adventure, we ask you to bless these backpacks and bless these students as they start a new year of school. May this be the best year ever. And remember, this is your community. This is your community. As Anne said, we are with you every step of the way. If you have questions, if you have anything that you'd like to share or be, share with us. All blessings to you. Amen. I've worked for Hartford County Public Schools as the Environmental Compliance Coordinator for Water and Wastewater for the past 21 years. In May of 2017, a new law was passed requiring all public and non-public schools to test all drinking water outlets for lead. In April of 2018, the new regulations came into effect. First, we had to identify all drinking water outlets at 38 schools. It took four of us six months to go into every classroom and office to determine the locations of faucets, fountains, ice machines, and water coolers. The decision was made by the previous superintendent to sample all drinking water outlets. According to the regulation, outlets not tested needed to be labeled hand washing only. Some counties in the state decided to label non-primary consumption outlets instead of testing them. We began testing in May of 2018. To me, that meant several days a week working overtime to flush the taps before sampling the next day, and then getting up at 3.45 a.m. to get to the schools we are testing before any water could be used, one of the requirements of testing. Some evenings I would get home at 7 o'clock and then get up at 3.45 the next morning. Sleep deprivation was a reality. I coordinated the sampling for all the schools. We had 31 samples at our smallest school and 374 at the largest. Some days it was like trying to herd cats. It could be very frustrating. At some schools there would be six people sampling. At one school we tried having 10 samplers, but it was just too much. It was daunting. We took 6,525 samples, costing $84,000. Once the results came in, 
which took at least two months, two months, and sometimes as long as twelve as five months, the paperwork began. If the results were over the limit, notification had to be sent home within ten days, and the faucets or drinking fountains had to be labeled or turned off within twenty four hours. I have taken a few parent phone calls. Most of them just wanted clarification of what the notification said, but one parent was very angry. She felt that putting up hand wash only signs at faucets where there was high lead was not enough. I felt bad for her, but could not help her feel better. She asked to speak to my supervisor, so I had him call her. One of the things he said to her that helped her to put it in perspective was that she probably didn't know what was coming out of her own faucets at home. I hadn't thought about that aspect of it. There is a local lab who will do lead testing for $35 after you collect the sample and drop it off. I feel like we are doing the right thing by putting up hand wash only signs. This is what is recommended by the Department of the Environment and they know the science. There have been 568 faucets out of 6,524 samples with lead above the action level of 20 parts per billion with two schools results that are not yet in. Only 23 of those were drinking water fountains and they will be permanently removed or replaced. The problem with changing out all the faucets is that it costs upwards of $1,000 each to change the plumbing out from the faucet back to the wall. Most of the sites that are above the action level are science sinks that would not have been used for drinking water anyway. What surprised me is that there were new schools that came back with high lead. I had expected it out of the older schools, but not the new schools. But I have learned that the definition of lead-free is not what you think. It can still contain lead, just in small amounts. It can be at 0.25% in plumbing fittings and fixtures and 0.2% in solder and flux. I feel like we did a good job with our lead testing program, especially given the time constraints. All testing had, become, had to be done within a year of the regulations coming out. We have identified issues with our drinking water and are taking the proper precautions. I am proud of the work I did on this project. It was a huge effort. And we have to start all over again in two years based on the regulation of repeating sampling every three years since we started in 2018. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for sharing your experience. And most of all, thank you for doing all of that hard work. I think we probably all appreciate how many hours and how much care it takes to do what we need to do to keep our, our water safe, as safe as we can get it for our teachers and our children. So thanks again, and thanks for the sacrifice. And I'm sorry about the sleep deprivation. So dear ones, in, in preparation for today's service and for our beautiful water communion, as you can imagine, I've been reflecting a great deal about water. You know, on the one hand, there's this ritual that celebrates our connectedness and the, the beauty of returning again and again in, into community. And on the other hand, if you're like me, you've been riveted to images of, of this hurricane, 
that has been wreaking havoc up and down our coastlines. Water, as our weather commentators don't hesitate to keep reminding us, yes, the winds are bad and the winds are scary, but it is that water surge, right? That relentless wall of water that comes and once it starts, it can't be stopped. You know, I remember, I remember when I was a little girl in, 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 in Puerto Rico, and I remember hearing the elders in the community and in, in my family talking about the hurricanes of the past. And there were certain hurricanes that took, in spite of the fact that hurricane season comes every summer, every year to the Caribbean, there were some hurricanes that just stood out. So I would hear folks talk about San Felipe. San Felipe made landfall on the island of Puerto Rico in 1928 and caused a tremendous amount of destruction. And San Ciprian, and I remember them talking about and even talking about these hurricanes and, and almost measuring time. You know, it happened right after San Felipe or it happened right before San Ciprian. And I remember realizing that this was a force that needed to be respected and taken seriously. I remember noticing for the first time that there were palm trees, especially on the beaches. If you've been to Puerto Rico, you know the beaches are beautiful. There were palm trees that were bent over so far by the wind that they almost looked like they were growing on the top of the, on the, top of the sand. And they were growing because they were still living in spite of, in spite of what had battered them unrecognizably out of, out of shape. You know, I can't resist my ministerial nerd moment, so I have to share with you, because this just blew me away. The, the, I knew this. The word, our word for hurricane comes from the indigenous people of Puerto Rico, the Taino, the, and the huracan was as one might predict, an angry goddess. Why is it that angry women are always right to blame? Okay, but that's, that's a whole other sermon series, right? <laughs> so this angry goddess is represented in Taino art as a, as a, a face. She's not exactly smiling, I will tell you, I will tell you that, but this, this, this face, ritualized face. And her arms, there are two arms coming out, and her arms are shaped like this. And it turns out, as the curators at the Powhatan Museum of, of Indigenous Art and Culture, they superimposed this image on the top of a satellite photo of a hurricane. And it fits precisely. The proportions are precisely correct. It's really stunning to look at. And when I saw this, it made me think of how our, our ancestors and our indigenous ancestors understood, understood and felt their connectedness with nature and with one another in a way that maybe 
we don't fully appreciate. And how they knew what a satellite photo looked like, I, I don't know, but it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. But as I grew up, and as I grew up with this reality, and I know many of us who live in, and grew up in, grow up in hurricane lands, we, we know this. I understood that these devastating events become part of a communal memory. These things become something that connect us. Whether we want them to or not, they are part of what draw us together. We remember them. They mark our days. They mark our culture. They mark our art. They mark who we are in our collective experience. But they don't define us. take and they do take everything from us but they don't define us it was I'll be honest with you it was hard for me to watch a lot of the coverage because a certain amount of visual input and I start I just you know I get very reactive maybe some of you have that same experience but I remember watching one woman who had survived on Abaco Island and either her name wasn't listed or I didn't catch it so forgive me I don't I don't know how to identify her but she said something like this she said we will heal together we will come back from this together. She said, this is how I grew up. This is the Bahamas I know. I have to tell you, beloved, that's when I started to cry. Because the images of devastation stunned me into grief, stunned me into that feeling of, of horror and powerlessness. But the statement of resilience and humanity and community moved me, moved me to tears. We do come together in a crisis. We have to, right? This is, this is how we're wired and this is where our survival comes from. It used to be we would say, where were you when President Kennedy was assassinated? Some of you remember that, right? Where were you on 9-11? I may have shared with you that I was on the last train that made it into Penn Station in New York City on 9-11. We had ridden past the Twin Towers, seen the little planes circling, and we came out onto the street in time to watch the second tower fall. And I will remember as long as I live, not just the enormity of that day, but how it felt to be in New York City on that day when disaster, unimaginable disaster had struck. Because there was this spirit of kindness 
Do you know? Do you need help? Do you want to listen to my radio? How, there was this sense of community. That was something I had not experienced before. And a sense of wanting to be, to recognizing how important we are to one another. We come together when we feel that we need to. And sometimes, sometimes when that emergency or that crisis or that horrific event is over, we take a deep breath. Maybe we feel grateful that there's a moment of peace. And sometimes in that moment, we can forget what connects us. I know, I know as much as someone who wasn't here can know how hard you worked as a community, not only throughout your history, but in recent years when there was transition and there were challenges, especially your dedicated leadership. I know how hard you work and you, you built on the strengths of a foundation that was already strong and made it stronger. And I know that some of you are tired because it's exhausting. It's exhausting to hold, to hold ourselves together in times when we feel fear or uncertainty. I pray, I pray that I'm right when I say that this beloved community is no longer in the midst of crisis. I know you'll tell me if I'm wrong. But in this moment, I want us all to remember and perhaps gently bring ourselves back to an understanding, a recognition, a recognition of our shared purpose, a remembering of what connects us. As the woman said, speaking about her community, this is the Bahamas I know. I want to say to you, this is the UU Fellowship of Harford County that I know. Even though I've not been with you that long. I see a community with a tremendous amount of heart. and kindness, and energy, and so much to give. Whether you are here for the first time or have been here for a long, long time, I'm pretty sure you have felt that spirit too. I see a community that at times wrestles with what has always been and what might be. 
Because that's always, that's always a question. I want to remind us that we are part of a religious movement that is maybe small, but very mighty. All across this country, and actually in in Unitarian Universalist congregations around the world, in-gathering is happening, a water communion is happening. What connects us to one another is the order of the day. As our seventh principle states, we affirm the interdependent web of all existence. Sometimes I say to people, who's in your web? (laughs) I know the people I want to have in my web. (laughs) And I know those that I'm more reluctant. What is our interdependent web? Who? Can we grow in spirit and in love, continue to grow in spirit and love from those connections that we have? Whether it's the destructiveness of water or the life-giving force of water or anything in between. I want to remind us that our faith tradition is, as far as I know, the only faith tradition that is primarily white that is actively and openly seeking to understand and work with and grow through the impacts of systemic racial oppression and white supremacy culture. Do you know how much courage that takes? I just want to affirm that. That's courage. That's resilience. That's a palm tree that's growing like this along the ground. Remaining vital even when it's messy. I see in front of me a community that wants to make an impact. We care. We care about our community, our fellowship, our surrounding communities. We care about our world. We care about our society. We care about community, about um, generations that will come after us, and we want them to have this, this place that welcomed us when we needed to be welcomed. And those future generations may well say of us, boy, they really tried. They did something brave. And yeah, they screwed it up a lot. But they did. They weren't perfect. But they were on the right side of justice and compassion. So let's say yes. Let's say yes together. Are you ready for this coming church here? Let's say yes to the power of we. Let's say yes to what we can do together. Whether we have to argue about it, disagree, learn to understand one another or not. Let's say yes to what connects us. 
I love hearing you respond. Dear ones, I want to close again with the words of those first brave women who began the tradition of water communion. So we come together to question, to hear, to share, to speak, to inspire, and to celebrate through new rituals, knowing that our energy and love are transforming. Celebrating now our connectedness, today we choose water as our symbol of empowerment. Blessed be. Amen. And Ashe.